welcome to the Tough Cookie Podcast, sharing stories of amazing inspiration, hope and resilience from transplant recipients and people with chronic illnesses. And here's your host, Patricia Shades. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tough Cookie Podcast. I'm your host, Patricia Shates, and thank you for joining us again for another awesome episode. Uh, I have with me today the divine Ms. Lauren Rowe, who... (laughs) is an absolute beauty of the transplant world and chronic illness spectrum. Um, She's been keeping it real since I think she said 1993 or something like that. 1990, I wish 93, but yeah, let's go with that. Let's let's go with 1993. I don't know why I had that in my mind, but let's go with that anyway. (laughs) Lauren, I'm going to get you to tell your story to us. Oh, okay, right off the bat. Uh, Firstly, I'm glad you said your name because I've always pronounced it like, shapes your last name so thank you for clarifying that um (laughs) yes so I was born with cystic fibrosis which is a genetic illness that affects mucus producing organ uh, the mucus producing organs so mainly the lungs and digestive system um for those of you who don't know cystic fibrosis produces thick sticky mucus um and that creates infections and then deterioration and then eventually uh, death, basically. So, uh, so born with that, rushed straight to hospital, had a bit of an operation. Uh, that was because my bowels were not working. So they took, removed part of my bowel as a little bubba. Uh, hard for the parents to get their head around that their daughter has this illness. And back in the 90s, there was no internet. So you purely relied on um, library and just word of mouth of what it was um at least there was no dr google at that stage yes i know it's google's wonderful and terrible at the same time i don't like yeah i don't know where i stand on the the google doctor right now um because it's it's good when some people are like oh i googled it i'm like oh cool so you know the basics but then sometimes they come back with these terrifying facts and i'm like oh that's not quite right um yeah so uh so grew up I was a happy child, but in hindsight, I was pretty sick, um, in and out of hospital with chest infections. Um, by the time I was in year three, so about nine years old, I was pretty sick with uh, uh, staph, uh, multi-resistant staph, uh, went on a trial drug, which got rid of it. And then, um, but the damage was done by the time I was 11 coughed up a litre of blood in a white display home, which is, oh, wow. um, which was nice to scare the, the, the people who were walking through trying to look at this beautiful white house, white carpet, everything, and there's this demon child uh, coughing up blood. <laughs> um, I had an operation, removed part of my lung. That kept me going for a, a few more years. Uh, by the time I was 18, um, I'm just kind of jumping around, so feel free to uh, butt in anytime. <laughs> uh, by the time I was 18, I was very sick. Uh, I like to keep it consistent, so coughing up blood during the HSC. Skipped a lot of, a lot of schooling. Um, got myself a boyfriend, which is great. Uh, that was a big achievement for moi. And, um, and then by the age of 19, I was listed for a transplant because they said, you've got less than 12 months left. Um, got the transplant, believe it or not, because I'm still here. Uh, I only had two weeks left when I got the call for the double lung transplant. Um, as you uh, know, Patricia, it's a overwhelming call. It's a joyous yet terrifying thing to go through. Um, and then uh, post-transplant, you know, you have your few setbacks, you keep doing the best you can. I, I got into college, uh, had some fantastic years, but then four and a half years post-transplant went through rejection. Uh, so for those of, you, those of you who don't know, rejection means that you are the, how do I say this? It's like, uh, your body realizes that your donated organ is not part of you and starts to attack it. Like it would say a splinter, it recognizes that the splinter in your finger is not part of you. So you know, the antibodies um, come and attack it and try to push it out. That's what happened to my lungs 
went uh, on some pretty heavy-duty treatment for that because um, it was antibody-mediated rejection. Um, and then that worked but left me with 30% lung capacity. So for the last five years, uh, I've been below 30% and, you know, up and down with that. And the last two years, that has been more so of a struggle and uh, it's got to the point now where, uh, oh gosh, I was like 18% the other week in hospital. And now I am being listed. Well, I'm doing work up. So let's assume I'm getting listed. Think positive people that yeah. I'm getting listed for a second double lung transplant. Uh, and that's where we are up to. I've kind of, look, we were just talking about this before, Patricia and I. It's such a complicated thing trying to explain. It's not like, oh, I broke my leg. Like it's just a very clean storyline. It's like when you have chronic illness, there's so many other side things that happen because of the main thing. Um, it, it becomes a very complicated story. So that was my most condensed version I could give you. <laughs> because also some some of the stuff that you, you go through, you just sort of think, oh, that's not important. It's not part of my story. Or you just forget because mm-hmm. you go through so much. It's like if I added everything up, we'd be still talking four or five hours later. Exactly. And you'll be like, oh, I've mentally blocked that out. Or the person I'm talking to has completely tuned out. They're not listening anymore. And if you've so. gone to sleep now, well, we're glad we could help. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Um, that was a very clinical uh, explanation of my health life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I know you pretty well, so I know that's a very condensed version. Very, very condensed. <laughs> yes, it well. is. It is very condensed. <laughs> I did a draw my life uh, clip on YouTube, which basically means you go through your life and draw it. And I was looking at YouTubers and it was so simple. Like I honestly thought it was a simple task because it was like, you know, I grew up in, a lot of them were from America, you know, I grew up in Florida and then I went to college. I was like, this is simple. Then I did it and it just took me like a whole week to actually <laughs> work out how I could condense this story in like 10 minutes and it was still pretty long. But anyway. <laughs> speaking speaking of YouTube, you do have your own channel. Tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about what you do with, YouTube and all of your other bits and pieces that surround that with Gifted Life? Yes. So I run a not-for-profit called Gifted Life. Um, Everything has kind of been put a little bit on the back burner just because my health at the moment isn't that great. Um, But uh, it started actually after I rejected. It was uh, something that I realized there was a lack in the transplant community, I guess you could say, started with the transplant community and kind of got to the more the chronic illness community. But I realized that essentially when I was talking to people, they felt like they were the only ones going through these horrible emotions. Uh, So through my research about five years ago, I found over 90% of recipients experienced depression, anxiety, PTSD, And I didn't think that there were adequate enough uh, support systems in place. And uh, and with that, I found that a lot of people were very, felt a, a, um, I don't know what the word is for that, but they felt isolated, isolated, but also with their donors, they kind of felt obligated to live a particular life because someone had passed and they were living. Um, so they, they felt obligated. They had to feel grateful. Even if they were feeling awful, they felt awful for feeling awful. So I, I kind of started YouTube just to kind of talk frankly about things, uh, in more of a comedic fun way. My first YouTube, uh, clip was things transplant recipients never say. Um, and it was just a, a bit of a parody about, you know, what we go through, because I wanted people to realise, like, it's okay to not be okay. Uh, That's how it kind of started. Then it kind of evolved from that. And I started doing care packages for people in hospital because I'm all for making the best of the situation you're in. Um, You know, you might be in a bad situation, but how can we make that bad situation just that bit better? So I'm all for creature comforts. Uh, Started Empowerment Days, won a lovely... um, 
bit of money from this uh, woman's weekly woman of the future, which allowed me to travel around Australia and uh, do an empowerment days for recipients and carers of people with cystic fibrosis and, uh, and got a really good response because it was the, the peer-to-peer support that really got people uh, feeling better about themselves and able to get through those really what we think is mild moments in life but they're probably not that mild if you talk to the average person so yes I hope I've explained that okay I go on such a long tangent um not at all it's yeah perfect explanation I know what you do and you sounded yeah it makes perfect sense to me yeah I hope it makes perfect sense to everybody else I'm all for making knowing that you're not alone that's our tagline making the best of your situation and I'm a big believer in um, laughing with yourself uh, and that is a big part of what I do as well. That's awesome. Um, going back to the making the best of bad situation, is that mm. what you think resilience is? Oh, yeah, definitely a big Deep part question. of it. Yeah, <laughs> no, let's just go straight into it. Yeah, definitely. For me it is. I think resilience is different for everyone. Everyone has their own what they need to do to get through their situations um, and their circumstances. And uh, one of the coping mechanisms uh, that I use definitely is uh, laughter. Uh, To me, that is extremely important. It's something I hold very close and dear to me. And uh, it's it's something that uh, I think it's Tom Shadiak, he is a director, and he says uh, laughter is a is a spiritual act. I think that's his quote, and I love that because yeah, I think really it is. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Do you think? All right, it'll be really cliched and cheesy, mm-hmm. but I think, hey, why not? Do it. Do you think laughter actually is the best medicine? Yeah. For that was deep. No, I think (laughs) I've actually had a lot of these conversations uh, because I did a show called Taboo and the whole thing was about laughing. Um, I was on the terminal illness um, episode and the whole thing was laughing about the the situations we were in. And I think it was there that we we had a big chat about the the importance of laughter. And, Mm. um, And for me, laughter... It's, it's when the reason why I love it is because it brings you into the moment. When you think of a time when you've had just this big belly laugh, you can't stop, tears are running down your face. For me, that's when the pain stops. That's when the mind stops. That's when you're fully connected, talk about cheesy, fully connected in the moment with another person, laughing with somebody else in a really awful time is such a beautiful thing. And they're the moments that personally for me I cherish the most because they're, they're the things that are worth living for, for me. Um, my, the thing that I love the most is the little moments I spend with my loved ones. And a lot of those little moments that I cherish are the ones that I'm pissing myself laughing with somebody. And to me, uh, I think that having that is definitely makes life worth fighting for so really for me resilience it's not so much how you get there I think it's really finding what makes life worth it for you and that answer is completely different for every single person out there um for me that that's what it is for me and I probably is for many people uh comes down to connections with your loved ones um, and being there with and for your loved ones. Um, but it might be something completely different for someone else. And that's okay. Like there is no right or wrong answer. It's just something that you need to know for yourself. You know, if I have to get through this bloody thing called life, because we're all struggling here, what makes it all worthwhile? What makes the struggle worth it? And I think if you have that answer for yourself, then the resilience just comes because you, you have a reason to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. And to take it back a little bit of a, a step there, mm. you mentioned in Taboo you were on the t- the terminal illness episode mm-hmm. where they talk about 
term mental illness is how does it feel for you to kind of almost be labeled as having a terminal illness I was so uncomfortable with it so I got approached to be on the show and I said guys I'm not terminal am I yep. <laughs> like, <laughs> is like, there something you're not telling me what are we what are we classifying as terminal and they say well yeah. you know you're not gonna be here in you know a couple of years because I think term like I've been terminal and when I say I've been terminal I mean yep. we're talking weeks um yep. or <laughs> right then and there um and I even said on the show I said like for me but that's just probably I guess everyone looks at it a little bit differently but for me as long as I still have hope I'm not terminal um yep. I have hope that I might be getting a second transplant chances are like I know definitely if I don't get the second transplant, I'm gonzo. If I get a cold, I don't like not a cold. If I get like a full on flu or God, bloody COVID, COVID. Um, I'm definitely a goner. So, you know, uh, and there are, but like we were saying before, there's so many side aspects that, yeah, definitely I, I guess I am terminal, but it's not, it's not a word I like to be associated with because Hey, I'm I'm still contributing <laughs> to society. Um, so uh, you certainly don't sound like someone I would expect has a terminal illness. You don't like, yeah. No, and, and this is <laughs> Not the thing that anyone that, does. But, and this is the thing know. you'd get this yourself. We're, we've got invisible yep. illnesses, like, and that's what we're saying on debut. I was with this beautiful girl who had terminal cancer, and we both looked like two no, young women people. just laughing going to get some wine and we're having our tea time and stuff and having a bit of a gossip and no one would know and that's the thing that's the very deceiving thing like even when I have been on my deathbed people still like obviously I'm quite unwell um I say quite unwell yeah very unwell um (laughs) it's all about perspective yeah yeah exactly uh, and people are still shocked. They're like, but you don't, you don't look sick. And it's like, well, no, because the stuff that's actually happening is inside my body. It's not actually affecting the outside of my body. Like, obviously, I've lost a lot of weight and um, you can see me struggling to breathe. But besides that, if you took a photo, just be like, oh, she's lost some weight. Good for her. Like, it, it's, um, yeah. it, it's funny how because, you would, yeah, you'd get this too because we don't look sick. There is a there is a blind eye people can definitely take with that. But I've even had doctors that are um they're just like, Oh, but you you look so well. I'm like, come on, man, you're a doctor. <laughs> like you should know this. Um but but you know, and uh that also comes into I don't know if you want to talk about this or not, but people then having that option to turn a blind eye to you with relationships and friendships and um, because the option is there because, you know, it's not like we're sitting here in a, in a wheelchair. Um, you can't see the struggles that we're going through. They're very silent struggles. Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, let's go there. Yeah. What's it, what's it like with relationships for you? I mean, I'm married, so you know, sort <laughs> well, of for a while, I think. I, I say relationships like friendships, <laughs> romantics, which, which kind of relationships are going to go down? We're going to go down romantic path or? Let, let's go down romantic path. Okay. Because friends, friends, you know, they're fleeting. Yeah. yeah. Some, some are good. Not, look, let's not get that wrong. Some, some <laughs> friends are amazing. My friends that are listening, I love you dearly. <laughs> some of you just don't reach out when we're sick, let's face it. But that's okay. Yeah. Anyway. Let's do romantic relationships and explore friendships afterwards. Okay, beautiful. Yeah, we can. We can. This is just going to be hours long. This podcast, I can tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, romantic relationships. Uh, so I, like I said, my first boyfriend was when I was eighteen, and that was actually when I was becoming quite unwell, and then I had a transplant. Um, and I've had some lovely relationships since then. Um, some not so great and um and I'm actually in a really lovely relationship at the moment I think we've been together oh gosh I am terrible with times and dates because I just don't take any notice of them but I think it's been two years um but obviously uh being very transparent um it's been quite I'm very aware that it's quite confronting for the person that I'm with when I do become unwell like for the moment 
I am doing a workup for transplant. And for those of you guys out there who don't know what a workup is, basically means your body and mind are tested (laughs) to see if you are fit enough to have a second transplant. The irony, you have to be sick enough to get a second transplant, but the rest of your body uh, has to be well enough. So yeah, it's a very double-edged sword sort of situation. You need to be this much sick, but also this much well to actually survive it. It's very, it's a strange, strange place to be. Yeah, it really is. So the last two, three, oh gosh, three weeks, I've been doing a lot of tests and, you know, we've just had to have very open conversations about the risks involved. Um, obviously, a second transplant is riskier um, and just trying to be having those really uh, deep conversations that not everyone can have. Like I have been in relationships when, because I've been healthy and then say something's happened and I've had a bit of a hiccup. We're talking transplant, uh, early transplant days when um, I I could get away with being quite well a lot of the time. Um, You could see the, 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 the glazed happen and the don't want to, acknowledge this let's just go through the motions which I don't blame anyone for I mean it is hard and I like to consider myself a walking mirror like I'm reflecting everyone's own mortality um, if they look at me hard enough and no one wants to think about their own mortality so absolutely especially at such a young age oh yeah it's so weird right because I've grown up sick um I've always been considered young and now yep. I'm going through all these tests the last three weeks. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm 30 now, which <laughs> in CF world is very old. And yeah. I think, oh my gosh, the trainees are younger than me now. Like, <laughs> like I can have a doctor that's my age now. Like I'm at it's that a age. It's a point in your life. It now. is. It is. And I'm, <laughs> And that's just, I've never, con- it's always been people older than me. And now yep. it's, it's so funny. <laughs> it's funny. It's so true. And I've, you know, I've been through a very similar situation growing up sick my entire life. And yeah, I've always had doctors that are always older than me. And now I'm getting to the stage where some of the consultants, which are the, the head specialists, are my age. And it makes mm-hmm. me feel very, very old. But that's in the same vein, also- I don't feel any different. No, I feel like the same 21-year-old that was in hospital fighting for her life at one stage. Yeah, and look, I've, I think one of the pivotal moments for me, I was about 20 and I had a bowel obstruction, uh, which means... Oh, nice. Yeah, okay. Lovely. Great. We, we, <laughs> we were all there. Anyway, um, I had to have... A, I, was, I was very unwell. Had to have an enema and it was with a trainee nurse that was the same age as me and the 20 year old Lauren was just mortified like oh my gosh he is looking at my butt like he's going in (laughs) he's going in and you just kind of sit there like it doesn't bother you but like now it doesn't but back then 20 year old Lauren was like it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's not fine. It's totally not fine. <laughs> and then, oh my goodness! Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. So um, now I just enough, like I think all chronic illness patients would be like, I've been there too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> some sort of loss of dignity at some yeah. stage with yep somebody else. It's now I just like, like to screw with there. the little trainees. Now that's great. Yeah, I had yep. a little, um, especially if they feel awkward. I'm like, oh, you got to learn this. Um, gosh, I'm a terrible person. Uh, you know, like if I go for x-ray and I, <laughs> I went to x-ray and this obvious trainee, bless him, he was probably 19, very awkward. He's like, oh, do you have a, um, <clears throat> you know, and he's like gesture, gesturing to his own chest. And I'm like, a bra? <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> oh, yes. And like, you know, oh, it's just so much fun to like watch them struggle a little um so that is so we're we're training the doctors and nurses and radiologists and physios and all allied health professionals of the future so we're doing exactly oh man (laughs) I've been a guinea pig for so long so look if I can get a bit of fun out of it so be it (laughs) absolutely looking looking for looking on the bright side of things and always looking for a laugh Mm mm-hmm 
Absolutely. Yep. Um, yeah, I let I let the good interns to. I'm, I feel like I'm quite obliging letting them try and accumulate yep. me, but they only get a certain amount of goes because I do have yep. dodgy veins. A tolerance level? Yes, yeah. and a tolerance level. And I've, I've been doing this for a long time. So they get a few goes and then I'm like, okay, we need, we need to get someone in here now to do it. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be the guinea pig for a little bit, but when it comes to the, the bigger stuff, you know, I don't want a trainee uh, ripping my lungs out and putting some new ones in. So um, yeah, not yeah, yeah. It's really (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Choose uh, what you what you want to be tested on for. Pick your battles. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Now, what? How does it feel to sort of face your mortality for the second? No, it's not the second time for you, but in a big way for the second time. It's so weird how well I'm coping. <laughs> I think I just expected I'd go through the same path as last time, but I guess I've done the groundwork. Um, and I, yeah, I, I've actually, I'm just thinking now, how am I going? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm more prepared and because I do have that hope, um, that's good, but I'm also not ignorantly optimistic either. I say, yep. I don't know if optimistic's the right word. Of course, I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful, but I'm not going in blind. I know the risks. I yep. know that there is this percentage that I'm I won't make it, or this percentage I won't get a transplant in time and stuff. And um and and yeah, I mean, I think obviously it would be different again if I didn't have the option of a second transplant. Um, I'll know in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah. And, and is that in itself a bit of a scary prospect? To have it or to not have it? I guess both. Like you'll know in a couple of weeks time either way, but is mm. that a bit of a scary, not ominous sort of feeling, but. It's very you know. limbo. I, I'm yeah. a very impatient person. Which is you're an not, impatient patient. Yeah, exactly. It's not a yep. great thing to be when you're in a situation like this. Yeah. Um, but I've had to learn to be patient, or at least just yep. let it happen. And the yep. way I kind of deal with it is, I only deal with what's right in front of me, what I have to deal with, being full aware of the full picture, but knowing where to put my emotional energy into. I think yes. that's the, the difference of coping. It's not this big, massive thing being thrust upon me. I mean, I because I have been through it before and I have been expecting this for some years now, um, uh, it's not all of a sudden a build-up of everything currently crushing on top of me. I, I feel like I, I know each section <laughs> of the process yep. Yep. and I'm, I'm quite happy to... Uh, put my emotional energy where it's needed and not try and spread it so thin across everything out there because I've done that before and you just end up crashing because there's not enough no one has enough energy to answer and be on top of and deal with all of these things all at once so it's not ignoring it's just acknowledging but also not focusing on it I think and that is a skill it's a skill I've learned and oh, definitely. I'm very proud that I've learned that and that's taken quite some time and I think we could all do with knowing how to um, not ignore, I have to keep saying that, being yep. fully aware but knowing where to put the emotional energy to. The day that I realised I did it, I was actually really concerned. A friend, either her dog or her grandpa passed away and I remember thinking, oh, that's sad and, you know, I was there for her but usually I would be very empathetic towards that and I went to my therapist and said have I lost my empathy and she said no (laughs) she goes you just know now in yourself how to distribute your emotional energy so it doesn't take a toll on yourself and I've gone wow (laughs) it's only taken how many years but I'm finally there it's an enlightened moment. It really is. <laughs> it was a great moment for me. I mean, poor friend, but yeah, great for me. <laughs> but is that also part of, I guess, 
being able to control certain things, like controlling what you can control and leaving the rest to whatever it can be. Yeah, and to that a, is to a degree. And as a human, that is the most terrifying thing. To yeah, of course, we want to know what's happening around the corner. And believe me, I've wanted to have things down in writing and know exactly what's happening next. Yep. And it's not like that, and it sucks, and I hate every minute of it. But yeah, we do have to learn to what you can't control. You've got to let go and yep. just you know be alert, not alarmed. Um, be prepared, but try not to, you know, there's no reason worrying about it if you've got no control over it, you know. Yep. The, the things that I can control, I, for my first transplant, I made a bag for my parents. It had a deep, this is back in 2009, mind you. Oh, sorry, 2010. So it had DVDs, um you know, shampoo, conditioner, face washer, because I knew they'd be staying the night. And I wrote books, not books, but like they all had an exercise book and I, I wrote messages and had puzzles for them to do while in the operation. And that was something that I could do for that situation. I couldn't be there with them, but I wanted them to know that I was still sending my support for them while they're waiting for me. So I feel like there are ways to think outside the box that of things that you can control in uncontrollable situations. And yeah. I feel like if you find that, um, that's, a, that's a really great thing for you to be able to do. Absolutely. And how has, how has COVID sort of treated you? I mean, it must be as a lung recipient, full stop, let alone mm-hmm. let's put aside the second transplant sort of situation. Mm-hmm. As a lung recipient, COVID must be stressful. Very I say very, but I think, yeah, no, very. Let's downplay it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it is. (laughs) Um, So when it first happened, it was, I just thought it'd be something like SARS. And I thought, okay, well, I've got this thing. I've just got to be extra careful. And then when (laughs) I realized it hit Australia, I thought, oh, geez. So I went down into full lockdown with my parents, Um, obviously stopped, um, going out (laughs) everything that entails Uh, and so did my parents you know we got things delivered we didn't uh, everything that was delivered sat outside and we cleaned before it came in the house Um, so we were very pedantic because no one knew exactly how it's going to affect us like we were looking at Europe and stuff and gosh thank goodness we didn't get to that point but I think it was because we had learned and we were very diligent to begin with Um, when it first hit Australia Um, but obviously and the last probably two weeks I've been a bit adventurous I have gone out to lunch but it was in a place where we were isolated Uh, I was with my family Um, they do temperature checks before you go into the restaurant and stuff so it was I felt very safe and um, during it I was actually in hospital as well and I did feel safe in the hospital because um, you were in hospital during it when it first first came, which would be I've terrifying for you. I've been in hospital three times during COVID, and <laughs> it, it's the initial stage is terrifying. I'm not going to lie. Why am I answering this question? <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> it's your, it's my interview. Doesn't matter. But in all, you know, in all, in all honesty, the three times I've been there, half of emergency, the the emergency department at my local hospital has been closed because it's Mm. been so quiet and so you actually sort of you look at that and you go it must actually be kind of safe here Mm. you know like there's less people in the hospital yeah Yeah, exactly exactly and I felt the same way seeing I mean I don't question the nurses when they sanitize their hands in a normal situation now COVID's happened you just sort of it's it's nothing's changed no The, the nurses and the team still wear masks and protective gear for me because I too, I'm immunocompromised, so it's always the same. But mm-hmm. um, it's a little reassuring. You you do feel stupid safe because everyone's do you so know what? diligent I, with it. And it's so funny. I actually, in this moment right now, I feel safer than what I would in a normal winter. Yeah. <laughs> because yep, 100%. Every, because when I went to lunch, I also went to the shops. And everyone is so ca- – not everyone, majority of the population yep. are yep. really good. And the way the shops are set up, it's actually a immune suppressed dream. 
<laughs> like aside from the crowds at times, which does make me super uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I love going shopping now because, yeah, the, the situation is so much safer. Everyone has hand sanitizer and everyone uses it. Yeah, and everyone's so part. much more aware of cross-infection and infection, yeah. infectious control, which is just second nature to us. And I've just become – that. my life is this is how I protect myself, knowing full well the rest of the world doesn't understand. Now the world has kind of caught up and now it's a bit odd. It's like, oh, okay – we're all on board now. All right. Like, okay, this is interesting. Um, yeah, it's kind of great. Actually. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I was debating with a friend last night, whether we are going to have a second wave or not. Um, we were, we were just chatting about obviously just different things. And, um, what are, what are your thoughts on second waves or, or not happening? I don't think if we have a second wave, it will be as bad. I think if we go through it, people are a lot more aware of restrictions and things like that. Like no one wants to go back into lockdown. I mean, I think as of today, which is, I'm not going to tell you what date it is because that makes this age a little bit, but uh, Beijing have sort of cancelled all non-essential travel again because they're expecting Mm -hmm. a second wave. And I think we're much more advanced than that with regards to, as you said, infection control and and things like that. So I think we'll be lucky in that regard. And we do have a uh, less population per square metre. I don't know how you'd say that. This is entirely true as well. Pardon? This is entirely true as well. We do have a, a smaller population, a less dense population and all of that sort of thing. All these things also help us, which is awesome. Yeah, uh, I feel it won't be a second wave per se. I feel like cases will rise slightly, yep. but then that'll be our new normal, and that's just the that's just going to be it really until yeah, of course yeah, and until we find a vaccine or and or even beyond happens. that, like yeah. I mean, I was talking with my husband this morning and we were saying, even if they do find a vaccine, it will be time before we actually get rid of this. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because there's a vaccine for measles and we still have measles outbreaks. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. It'll be one of those things like, yeah. And this this is the frustrating thing because, like, you would be the same. Because we are immune suppressed, because, you know, if you know, when these things come up, if you do get sick, I know it's definitely a death for me. I'm not too sure where you, where you are with that. Um, I don't know yet. (laughs) Yeah. Let's, let's not test that I'm not a lung recipient. Yeah. And that's true too. Let's not test that theory. Let's not go there. (laughs) But the the thing I hate most is that a lot of it is just guesswork on our behalf. So when I make the, like, I have to make conscious choices to go, like if I do leave the house, if I want to see a friend, um, yep. those are conscious choices that I make with what I know, but you don't know what is right or wrong mm-hmm. and no one does. And it's your responsibility and you have to deal with the consequences. So say, you know, that I did go to the shops the other day. If I did get sick from that, I just have to deal with them. Like, because, yep. But if I then stay home and don't go out at all, I'm not, well, how long am I going to stay home for? I'm not living a life while these cases are down. You know, it's it's this balance thing. And yeah. we've always had to balance life. It's just a little bit more. Um, you feel a little bit more fragile. The stakes are definitely higher. Fragile, yes. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. I always call it calculated risk. It's, it's yes, the same. sort of what's. <laughs> Whether, whether going out to the shops is actually worth it, but in the same vein, for your mental health, you need to leave the house. Oh, absolutely. Like I got to see my nephew and oh, I got to touch him. And I thought, <laughs> um. <laughs> and even before I touched him, I thought, risk, payoff, okay. Like it, it's constant. It's constant. It doesn't stop at all. Yeah, Absolutely. And Lauren, would you call yourself a tough cookie? Have you been called a tough cookie? I have been called a tough cookie. I've been called many things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> tough cookie is one of the nicer ones. Uh, yeah, no, I have been called a tough cookie. I, I, don't, I don't like to, I don't know what I am. 
it's it's one of those things where people still call me inspiring and you know yep. the tough cookie thing and everything and I I'm I'm still not 100% on board with it all I'm still a bit I don't know how I feel about it all but <laughs> are, you t- are you a little bit like me where I'm the same I do get told that I'm inspiring and yes I'm a tough cookie and oh you've been through so much and blah 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 you don't look sick is the biggest one of all um it's like the the chronic illness tagline you don't look sick yeah yeah <laughs> or but you don't look sick exactly but do you think as well I've kind of lost my train of thought here being called inspiring being called as, yeah sorry being called inspiring do you just sort of think it's, I'm just sharing my story yeah well this is the thing these are just my circumstances not to diminish your story no no not for, not at all <laughs> this is the thing I, I it depends what I'm being called inspiring for um that's the thing if it's just someone's just heard my health history go oh you're inspiring aren't you and it's like "Mm, they're just my circumstances that's just the cards I've been dealt with the same as you know someone might be dealt with the card that they're you know either economical or family situations like you know everyone's dealt a hand um of of cards that we're going to play but if it's someone saying oh you've done this that's inspiring if it's something that I've done then it's different. Then I feel like, okay, thank you. But if it's just because of my circumstances, I feel odd. Yeah. (laughs) That that makes perfect sense. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. If someone just hears your health history, you're like, yeah, I haven't inspired anybody. I don't think that I want anyone to do what I've done. That's for sure. (laughs) In terms of health history, I don't want anyone to go down that path. (laughs) That's why I am very big advocate for like, you know, new cystic fibrosis drugs and stuff. They Mm. won't help me. I'm, I'm long gone to be helped with that. But they'll help those behind you. And that's the important thing. And that's the amazing thing is if someone doesn't have to go through your health history, then isn't that awesome? Yes. Like, yes. Like, I'm like, I don't want anyone to, you know, like, oh, there's, there's so many chats going on um, with, you know, the young CF kids out there. And, you know, my, my big, the way, the opinion that I come from is I don't want anyone to have to go through what I've been through. You know, I laugh and I yeah. make light of, and of course, um, you know, that's my disposition. But at the same time, it, it's, bloody hideous it's awful and, yeah. it, and it's been it's been a very full-on life that I don't wish upon anyone yeah absolutely know. yeah and yeah if you can tell your story and that sort of inspires someone to do more research so that someone doesn't have to follow your path yeah then, absolutely and then that is inspiring yes yes uh <laughs> oh my gosh we're just going through a loop now this is yep. the thing but that is inspiring if you've if it together. makes a difference. Yeah, exactly. If you have somehow affected someone by yep. doing something, whether that is actually just standing up and telling your story and being open and vulnerable and, and you know, and sharing something and, and being able to tell them um, or being able to let them understand something greater than what they did before. I guess that, yeah, no, that yep. is inspiring. Um, yeah. But, you know, if someone's just reading off a sheet of paper, um yeah you know yeah yeah your circumstances it's like yeah yeah right yeah good good on you able-bodied person I'm glad (laughs) I made you feel better about yourself today yeah (laughs) what's what's your hope let let's give you let's let's play like this time next year sort of thing Mm -hmm. what's your your hope oh gosh very bad with timelines but like in the in the most idealistic world I would have had a transplant and it went amazingly Mm -hmm. I I have pretty good lung capacity because I've actually never been above 68 percent since I was about eight years old um so to to even if I was back there that would be fantastic anyway getting a bit carried away I yes I would have had a lung transplant breathing well and I will be making or have already made, I think that's a bit premature, but we'll be making my web series that I'm writing, um, which 
will be able to help a bunch of people. Um, I think that would be the, the hope for this time next year. That's awesome. Mm. That's that's fantastic. Attainable think, goals, yep. ladies and gents. Yep. Yes, that's what it has to be. And I guess dividing it up into those bite-sized chunks that sort of allow you to get to that stage, the things that you can control to get to that stage. As in how to get there? Yeah, or no, 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 as in sort of I think, it, yeah, it will be those bite-sized chunks that, that allow you to get there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like um, the the web series at the moment, I'm on the very early stages of that uh, and I'm doing one, one app at a time and, you know, applying for funding and stuff. So it is definitely stage by stage. Uh, to feel good post-transplant every day, I'm making sure I keep up my muscle tone to help with the recovery post-transplant. Like, you know, it's definitely, you can do something every day to help with the future, um, even if it is one squat, one one extra glass of water, one sentence, um, you know, it's it's all these little things. It's all the little moments that add up. And yep. That's life, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> don't pressure yourself. If anyone's listening to this and you've got a goal, don't pressure yourself to do everything and be full on every day, especially if you can't physically do that. I think uh, one of the common uh, holes that people fall in is that they set themselves these goals and I'm very goal-orientated. I love goals. Don't get me wrong. But they set themselves these goals and then they work hard, but then if they don't get them or they can't keep up with them, then they punish themselves. Think, oh, why? I can't do this, blah, blah, blah. That is not healthy <laughs> and no one should do, no one should yep. uh, feel that way for, for trying to achieve something because, you know, I think it's great if you have something you uh, are trying to attain. So baby steps, if it's, a year later than what you thought, that's fine. Yep. It's, yeah, there, there, there is no timeline for life. You've just got to do things as they come. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lauren, thank you so, so much for your time today. There's been some very wise words of wisdom there and it is an inspiring <laughs> story. For those who want to go and, you know, sort of chase their dreams and, and sort of look at things in light of such a bad situation, then, yeah, it's inspiring and, and you are. You are. You are. Oh, you're definitely well, you. a tough cookie. I will accept that. <laughs> <laughs> I will accept that. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Um, yes, this is. I'll be excited to listen to this back and be like, oh, yes. How wise that am I? That was you. How wise I know, am I? Exactly. 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 <laughs> and, and we will link to Gifted Life, your website as well. Oh, thank you. Uh, before we go, can we just mm. quickly put down that? I'm assuming everyone here knows that you are an incredible baker. Um, and Patricia. <laughs> I would hope so. Patricia, this year for my birthday, I wasn't able to have a party, obviously, because of COVID, made me the most amazing cake. And I still dream <laughs> about it. So, yeah, go. It was pretty. I must admit, we did visit you that night to um, to deliver the cake and we were very COVID safe and mm -hmm. cleaned. we cleaned the box before we left and we sanitized oh, yeah. and blah, 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 everything that we I needed like to do but also we don't have to just the cake was awesome <laughs> I know but I feel like I still do I know the cake same. was awesome I was so surprised because you are gluten intolerant and mm -hmm. and I must admit as a baker I'm always a bit oh gluten free people oh look but I hate it myself and I'm the person with it but sometimes sometimes the cakes taste less than perfect but the, your oh, cake was amazing oh, can gosh, I just it, say it tasted it was fabulous incredible it was, oh, I'm still dreaming about it. It was wonderful. <laughs> so it was, for those listening along at home, it was a lemon and blueberry gluten-free cake. It was it was divine, even by my standards, which are pretty high. And so. it was a very tall, circular cake with beautiful flowers around it. And it was pink, my favourite colour. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah. Goes without saying. I channeled channeled my own cake into yours. So, um, we, <laughs> well, will, we are we very similar in taste. <laughs> 
which we did find out when we spoke on your 30th birthday as well. Yeah. We did find out a lot of similarities, which were a bit alarming. So yeah. I've now got this new new relationship all over again sort of thing. Before oh, yeah. we had a good friendship, now it's a bit better than, than it was before. Yeah, we've definitely got very similar taste in fashion um, and decor. <laughs> Absolutely. And teacups. And teacups. Uh, yeah, if, you, if you've if you got a chance to uh, get your hands on one of Patricia, Patricia's cakes or desserts, I highly recommend. They are incredible. Thank you for that little plug. I really appreciate that. Oh, you know what? It, it, it sounded like a full-on plug. I'm actually dead serious. I'm a big believer everyone needs to try one of your cakes. Good. That's, yeah. That should be our mission. That should be your mission for the next 12 months. Yeah, exactly. Maybe we should give you that. Get everyone in New South Wales to eat Patricia's cake. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so, so much, Lauren. We really do appreciate your time. And as I said, we'll link to your website and um, keep everybody updated as you're on your progress as well, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. I will be posting on Instagram, giving you guys updates. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Lovely. Perfect. Thank you so much. And Thanks thank you guys for, for listening me. again. Yes, and thank you so much for uh, listening, everybody, today to another Tough Cookie podcast. Um, we'll be back next Thursday with another amazing guest and their incredible story. Um, but in the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay sweet. Thanks, guys. Bye. And sexy. <laughs> and stay sexy as well. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Tough Cookie Podcast. To find out more about The Sweetest Gift, go to www.thesweetestgift.org.au. Thank you for joining us on the Tough Cookie Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please join us next Thursday for another amazing story of hope, resilience, and really overcoming the odds.